Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. 1004. So every generation leaves its mark, right? There were the baby boomers and they left a mark on America's capital markets. Well, the millennials are here and they are expected to write their own story when it comes to the future of investing. So millennials, how do we define them? Are they aged between 24 and 39? Depends on your definition. Uh, they've grown up with the internet, that's for sure, right? Many, many screens they're familiar with and they're inclined towards new technologies and adjusting to the different economic shifts that have come from the adoption of new technologies. So are millennials choosing online platforms as a convenient way to invest in the stock market? Is, the, is that the only way they're investing, really? And when it comes to building a portfolio, what are the sectors and trends that they're relating to? If millennials are going to play a crucial role in the future of investing, let's take a peek at what is informing their investment decisions, shall we? Today, I've invited Tim Phillips. He's head of content and investment lead at Prosperous by CGS CIMB recently spoke on a panel about the trends that are being driven by millennials in the investing world. How are you, Tim? Good morning. Hi, good morning, Michelle. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. So you are yeah. head of content and investment lead at Prosperous yeah. by yeah. So, CGS CIMB. What is Prosperous? Yeah, so Prosperous is a um, digital-first investment platform uh, more aimed at you know um, a digital service created for millennials by millennials, but we obviously want welcome uh, anyone who wants to invest with us. And what we're trying to do is build a platform to uh, share with people from their first dollar to their last. So we kind of want to be with them on that investment journey, uh, focused at building a long-term portfolio and obviously, you know, generating wealth over the long term. This is interesting. So this actual platform had millennials developing it? Yeah. So a lot of our team is actually, I mean, obviously we're within CGSC and Securities, but a lot of our team are actually millennials themselves. So we kind of are understanding what millennials want in a platform and then also thinking about what types of markets they want access to. So obviously our platform is a multi-market and also multi-asset platform. Um, and we have an app, obviously, you can download on uh, the Play Store or on iOS on the Apple Store. Um, so go check it out. Interesting. All right, Tim, so are you speaking from the comfortable perspective of a millennial yourself? I am, yeah. <laughs> Mid- mid-80s, just uh, the higher end of the millennials, but still, in, still within there. All right. So why should we care <laughs> what investment trends are being pushed by millennials, Tim? I think, well... Mainly because millennials are actually the ones that are going to have a massive increase in sort of disposable income over the next 10 to 20 years. Mm. And what inve- what millennials are actually interested in tends to be things that they can relate to on an everyday basis, right? What they interact with every day, whether it's uh, gaming online, whether it's purchasing, um, you know, goods online. Mm. I think those are habits that are becoming more and more um, sort of present in our economy and our society and they're only going to increase in its their importance over time so i think what you're seeing with the trends in terms of what millennials are buying today in, in invest in the investment sense is actually what's driving the development of the global economy and society at large. I mean, do millennials have that much money now to be a force to reckon with in the investment world? They will be. They will have more purchasing power, did you say, in, in a number of years' time. Yeah. So, I mean, I think with with the fact that um, you know, millennials are actually starting to earn a lot more in terms of their in terms of their purchasing power. They can actually start to save more, mm. and they're actually able to put that money to good use. So you're actually seeing with 
I think there was a survey by SingSaver a couple of years ago looking at millennials and also Gen Zers. Mm-hmm. And actually, Gen Zers are actually saving more than millennials are in terms of their disposable income, and they're actually more willing to put that to work in the investment in the in the investment market. I think mainly because asset prices have actually increased over time. So baby boomers have had it really, really good, right? In terms yeah. of in terms of asset price increases, you've seen the real estate market go up, you've seen the stock market go up. So everything's increasing. But what you're seeing with millennials and with Gen Zers is that we're not in that position to you know grow our wealth as fast as our parents or our grandparents' generation did. So they want to start early and they want to start younger. Okay. So what's interesting is what investors, millennial investors, are gravitating to now. Are we seeing a sense of you know sort of the pop culture cycle? What's popular becomes even more popular. Uh, what are you seeing millennials gravitate to? Is it high growth U.S. stocks? Yeah, I mean, generally it's actually high growth U.S. stocks and also obviously crypto, just because crypto has that um, decentralized feel to it. You know, it's not it's it's a community feel where you're investing together. Mm. And then I think with U.S. high growth stocks as well, you're looking at the 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 goods that they're that they're purchasing. They're using, for example, Shopee or they're gaming with you know Garena or they're playing Free Fire, for example, which is obviously C-Limited's um, big game. Uh, so I think these types of products that they use every day, they're familiar with those types of companies and they're happy to purchase those. And you've seen, obviously, the increase in uh, use of those types of, of games, of platforms over the past year with the pandemic. But they're not going to be buying your sort of old-school tobacco companies or oil companies. I mean, nowadays, people, when they put their money into markets or when they buy buy stocks, they want to be buying companies that they know are, uh, doing a good, you know, providing a service or whether they're doing something good for the environment or whether they're, you know, uh, that align with their their own values as well. So it's not purely a profit driven and shareholder return driven uh, sort of market, I think, for younger investors. They want to relate to the companies that they buy into as well. That's interesting. Do you think they're also um, putting their money behind companies they want to see succeed? Companies like Tesla, for example, that, you know, might be aspirational to own a Tesla. Yes, that definitely. I think we're seeing a bit more interest in that as well, since Tesla's um, obviously coming out with a car here finally in Singapore. And so with Elon Musk, he's quite a different character or creature, I'd say, of a CEO, because he's got that cult personality behind him, maybe similar to a Jeff Bezos. But with, with Elon Musk, you've seen Tesla shares just skyrocket in the past two years. And I think that's really caught a lot of people's attention. Um, especially with the amount, the market cap that it's reached as well. I mean, it's close to, what, seven, $800 billion. So it's actually, I think it's a eight or 10 bagger over the past two years. So it's something insane. And I think with those, with their mission to electrolyze all vehicles in the world and, and, and you know, move, move towards the electrolyzation of, of, um, of, of cars and, and just the auto industry generally, I think he is, a, is definitely an idol for many for many investors. So when we talk about C Limited as, as another popular stock, I mean their two main mm. revenue engines were Garena and Shopee, uh, delivering really high growth uh, for C. So when millennials are looking at C, are they if, if they're not looking at profit and loss, what are they looking mm. for? I think they're just looking at the massive total addressable market. So that's in investment lingo called TAM. Mm. I think when you look at the e-commerce penetration in Southeast Asia, it is ridiculously low. So even last year with the growth of online sales in Asia, in Southeast Asia, rather this year, it's, um, it's only 
It's estimated to make up about 5% of overall retail sales. That's even after last year's massive jump, right? So you're thinking about the growth one way for Shopee to take market share in Southeast Asia or to continue to grow is already massive. And then recently they've announced that they're expanding into Latin America. So Free Fire was a really popular game in Brazil and I think in Mexico. And they've used that to kind of wedge their way into Latin America to launch operations in Brazil, in Chile, in Colombia, and in Mexico. So they've launched Shopee there. And obviously that's going to put them head-to-head with Mercado Libre, which is also another really popular e-commerce stock that's from Latin America. And similar to Southeast Asia, Latin America also has a very, very low penetration of online sales as a percentage of total retail sales. So I think it's slightly higher. It's something like 7%. So if you think about that in comparison to a China, which Mm -hmm. is already very, very developed, China this year, it's estimated to actually cross the threshold of 50% in terms of the online sales as a percentage of overall retail. So thinking about that, the growth runway is just so, so much more exciting in Southeast Asia and in Latin America than it is, say, in China, at least on the e-commerce side. Really interesting. So last mm. year we had a young man actually come on and he, he's a young man who gained, I, I think it's invest, he gained independence through his investing, financial independence before the age of 25. And he was wow. talking to me about CrowdStrike holdings and we had talked right. about it on air. So I yeah. decided, okay, let's track this. This. So if we all bought CrowdStrike holdings the day after my guests had come on and we yep. had bought CrowdStrike at 34, we had put $34,000 in, we would be up 92% from the day of wow. that show to $67,000. Yep. Of course, he was excited about CrowdStrike because he was mm. looking at the software as a service a field as a whole. Uh, yep. are, are investors, in millennial investors still interested in CrowdStrike? Definitely. I think that's the go-to name for for cybersecurity in that space. I think you're also seeing a couple other names like, uh, you know, sort of Zscaler, Zscaler and and also Cloudflare. But Cloudflare is a bit more general because it also takes into account uh, edge computing. But CrowdStrike is is known as the sort of gold standard, I guess, in the in the cybersecurity space. But obviously, valuations are getting a bit expensive in in that space just because it's so popular. Yeah. Um, I think with the amount of online um, you know, hacks and 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 think where where companies are having to protect their systems. Security services like uh, CrowdStrike are becoming much more popular. But there's definitely interest in SaaS. I would talk mm-hmm. about one interesting company, maybe maybe not more SaaS, but more um, platform oriented, okay. which is called Unity Software. So actually, Unity Software actually develops uh, or helps gamers, uh, gaming companies, develop their platforms and their games. So if you think about building a game, Mm -hmm. you're going to need to, obviously, you have content creators and you have people who are actually developing the game itself. Mm -hmm. And that's of going into the gaming engine. And so Unity Software is one of the leading gaming engines. So if you think about the gaming companies, 94 out of the top 100 gaming companies in the world use Unity Software to build their games. And so what they're doing is moving towards VR and AR, right? They're actually starting to build what we call the metaverse. I don't know if you've heard of this, but it's, it's, you know, Roblox, that whole, that whole thing where you live in the metaverse, right? You live in that world. Yeah. So 
they're going to be the sort of picks and shovels company. They're the one that if you don't want to bet on a company uh. to actually win in the metaverse, they're going to be building the metaverse or they're going to be the software and sort of the driver of that of that metaverse. So whether it's Facebook, whether it's Roblox, whether it's um, another gaming company that's going to build their own metaverse, they're most likely going to be using Unity software to build it. Um, so you're kind of seeing that growth continue in, in Unity software. And so in the latest quarter, they posted about 50% year-on-year revenue growth and that's in the 11th consecutive quarter of 30 percent plus revenue growth for the company so you can kind of see that continue and i think with the you know the rise of ar and vr i think this time it's probably going to be a bit more of a a concrete um development rather than you know previous false dawns so i think Mm -hmm. with unity software you have a great um sort of whole whole scenario uh you know uh, winner in the in the ar vr and uh, gaming space well when it comes to this space you know graphics ai technology is the lifeblood mm-hmm. of this space and nvidia's uh, ceo i think a couple of days ago was just uh, awarded let's see one of time's most influential 100 people and we know he's basically built one of the most the most valuable <laughs> chip company in the u.s yeah uh, yeah already overvalued i mean you know or or do you think um, millennials still looking at this this uh, particular company nvidia with interest oh i think it's definitely um it's definitely still a, a big interest to to younger investors i don't i personally don't think it's overvalued i think mm. the growth runway ahead of it is just absolutely enormous so i think you've seen some people talk online about the mobile market or you know the smartphone market being worth um, you know, maybe one or 1.5 trillion, you know, the whole mobile economy, what's being built on top of, on top of say, uh, you know, the iPhones or on top of the, you know, the whole mobile ecosystem, it's huge, right? But if you think about the AI economy, mm-hmm. that's estimated to be about 4 trillion in future by about 2030, 2035. So the amount of potential that's, that's going to be there for NVIDIA, because everything that is going to be AI related or a lot of things that are going to be AI related are going to be driven by NVIDIA chips, just because I think the technology it happened to go right for them right it was built on gpus and that's what they've specialized in and what they've excelled in and so with ai it kind of aligns them with the growth of that market and again it's it's the whole hardware behind the technology so you don't need to pick an ai winner if you go with nvidia you're most likely going to win in some way just because if you have the rise of ai nvidia is going to be there Really interesting, Tim. Tim Phillips is head of content yeah. and investment lead at Prosperous by CGS CIMB Securities. I was at a yeah. wedding. I was at a wedding yesterday. A young person, twenty nine years old, and uh, you know, I was chatting with a guest, and she herself is in her twenties. Right. She said, "I love altcoins, Michelle. You know, I I am so interested in altcoins. And so when yeah. you look at millennials and cryptocurrency, are they picking the, yeah. the bitcoins and the ether, or are they diving into the altcoins yeah. that you can make money with in the DeFi application?" I think you are definitely seeing more of them diving into the more speculative stuff. I mean, if you if you're seeing five six hundred percent gains in a couple of weeks, I mean, who doesn't like that, right? <laughs> so I think that that's a bit that's a bit harder to um, maybe justify in terms of building a significant position in your portfolio. Mm. But I think with Bitcoin and Ether, that's definitely becoming more mainstream. I mean, me myself, I'll admit, I actually bought my first like last month, right? So I've become more comfortable with the concept. I'm 
obviously a traditional stocks guy, but I actually looked at the technology. And if you size a position, that's not crazy. You know, you're not talking 80, 90% of your portfolio in crypto. Mm-hmm. But if you take an initial position that may, maybe it's like 2 3% and you see how it does and you become comfortable with the asset class, I think it's uh, something that is definitely the future, at least in terms of the technology behind it. Um, but you are definitely seeing more more young people go into the more speculative stuff, whether that's going to end in tears is, you know, I think you will see <laughs> it needs to be. Yeah, we need to see how that how that plays out. OK, so you've just taken your stab into the crypto universe. Are you at right. all interested in, in the DeFi world? Um, yeah, I think I think so. I mean, the whole the whole concept of DeFi is decentralized finance, right? That they want to get away from central banks. They want to get away from government. So I think the problem with that is that actually governments are becoming more likely to regulate blockchain or or Bitcoin or Ether or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. A lot of people say, oh, you know, a lot of the bears behind crypto say, oh, oh, the governments are going to come and regulate it. Oh, that's terrible, right? But actually, I think that is going to make it more mainstream. I mean, I'm definitely on more the optimistic side of uh, the coin in terms of being regulated by, you know, central banks or with central banks coming out with their own digital currencies. That's more of affirmation that this is here to stay, right, if they're going to try and regulate it. If they didn't want to regulate it, they would just ban it outright. But because I think they actually want this to become part of the mainstream system. I think regulation is going to be positive for this, for the development of these coins over the long term. Um, so I think it's, I think it's more a question of where the opportunities are going to come from the technology. But that's going to be that. That's a very technical aspect. I think which you probably is. don't have time to dive into. Right now. No, no, I understand. <laughs> and there's a whole lingo to get used to yeah. as well. I mean, if you're talking yeah. about this emerging ecosystem, it's built on right. blockchain technology and capabilities that are programmable. And first it was exactly. Ethereum, and then out of nowhere came Solana, and then you know yeah. you have to wonder sort of what's next as I we mean, see more transactions, you know, happening on, yeah. on the smart contracts of the blockchain. Yeah, we're at the early stages. I just remind mm. listeners that, you know, blockchain or sorry, you know, Bitcoin itself is probably what, 12, 13 years old mm-hmm. and stocks as an asset class is over sort of four, 500 years old. Right. So we're really at the early stages of this technology becoming uh, mainstream. So there is a lot more development in the way that it works in markets and how it interacts with investors and, you know, where you're going to see it being regulated, where you're going to see it be, you know, may p- potentially being banned. Mm-hmm. So I think there are, there's a lot more to come. Um, but I definitely think it's here to say, I don't, I don't think it's a bubble that's just going to burst and just go away. All um, right. So, yeah. Well, speaking of things that burst and, and then just went away, <laughs> a lot of uh, investors decided to keep a sell off when it came to Chinese stocks right, the last couple of right. weeks. That's all we've been talking about. So uh, you hear the acronym ATM. It exists for a reason, right? The Alibaba's, yes. the Tencent's, the Meituan's. Is that yes. on a millennial's uh, list of, you know, popular investment trends? Uh, I think it is just because those are the names that we've all become familiar with, right? From China, it's all the it's the massive tech names that have just continued to deliver year after year over the past, you know, what five, six, seven years, decade. Um, so I think it's one of those where people are thinking, oh, is this an opportunity to go in and and to buy on the low, or buy on the dip, so to speak? Um, me personally, I actually am not a fan of the large tech giant in in China, um, just because I think with the amount of uh, domination that they have in specific markets. If there is competition opening up and, you know, other other companies coming in to, to potentially disrupt them, then obviously I think 
it's inevitable maybe that margins and revenue or revenue growth at least will slow and margins potentially will fall. So, for example, Alibaba controls about 50 or just over 50 percent of the e-commerce market in, in China, which is a massive amount. Right. So if you think about the competition there with PDD, with this Pinduoduo and, and JD.com also um, competing with them in that market and potentially other e-commerce players coming in as well. I don't think that's the best environment for them. Um, and I would encourage listeners that there is a massive market out there in China beyond, you know, the tech names, mm. um, which which I don't think maybe maybe a lot of people are familiar with or, or maybe it's not advertised as much, obviously, because it doesn't make good headlines for Bloomberg or for the FT or whatever, um, you know, financial news outlet out there. Yeah. And what are some of these names? Um, so I think one of my favorite stocks actually in Hong Kong is called AIA. Um, you're familiar probably with it. It's a big, yeah, big sure. insurer in Asia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but you're writing, they're writing the, the tailwinds of just a massive demand for life and health insurance in Asia. So in 2019, um, Swiss RE estimated that there was at about a $80 trillion protection gap in Asia, uh, which includes, you know, obviously Malaysia, Thailand, India, China, so there's a massive gap for insurance, and AIA is filling that gap. It's filling the gap in the sort of middle income to higher income bracket. So what that does is that actually makes their agents a lot more productive um, on a on a per agent basis in terms of the amount of value of new business that they bring in. Mm-hmm. And they've actually only been um, they've recently been incorporated as a full subsidiary in China. So they actually own 100% of their own operations in China. They're the only foreign insurer that has that honor in China. Mm-hmm. And they're actually owning about seven to eight regions uh, in China. So they have plans to develop further to 12 regions in China and to continue to sell into uh, you know different markets. Mm-hmm. And they've all, they're always compared a lot, I, I find, to Ping'an Insurance. And Ping'an Insurance is, is a great, great company. But if you look back at the returns over the past um, sort of decade, you know, uh, AIA has actually outperformed by a factor of two. It's actually performed, it's actually delivered about 290% on a total return basis, whereas Ping'an's only delivered about 132% over the past decade. Whereas um, an AIA also pays a really good dividend. It actually uh, has grown its dividend on a compound annual growth rate of 17% over the past nine years. So if you're looking at a dividend uh, grower as well as a, a growth stock, mm-hmm. I think you've got two in one there. Absolutely fantastic. No, recently China came out, you know, the regulators mm. defending their, their market roiling crackdown saying, listen, <laughs> it's not about stifling technology, uh, but really right. about strengthening regulations for consumer yep. facing platforms. Yep. So if you yep. think that the technology um, trend is still something that China is going to get behind, what are the picks and shovel companies involved in, in this sector? Um, well, I think if you're looking at if you're looking at um, maybe well, I mean, I'll take a broad interpretation of technology in mm. R&D, which is research and development. Okay. But one of my one of my picks is in the healthcare space. It's actually called uh, Wuxi Biologics. Its ticker is uh, 2269. It's listed in Hong Kong. And it's actually um, a biologics end-to-end product uh, development platform. So if you think about if you think about the, um, you know, the Moderners and the Pfizer's that are developing biotech drugs, you know, based on mRNA technology, what they have to do is they actually have to go and test that, um, test those drugs. And there's, you know, you've heard of phase one, phase two, phase three. There are all these different trials. stages of clinical trials, mm-hmm. right? And so what what um, Wuxi does is it provides a platform for these drug companies to actually test um, these 
these different uh, these different technologies or these different drugs, and it basically earns a um, it earns money from that. So there are lots of lower sort of lower cap, I mean smaller uh, biotech firms that don't have the scale maybe of a of a Pfizer to test in house. So they outsource it to these what what are called CDMOs, which are contract and development manufacturing organizations. And and Wuxi Biologic is one of the biggest in the world. And so its revenue is pretty evenly split actually between um, between biotechs in China, in the US and in Europe. Um, so the US and China make up around maybe like 80% and then Europe and the rest of the world make up about 20 to 25%. But you're looking at, you're looking at basically the picks and shovels of, of uh, testing, right? So if you're a really big, um, if you're really bullish on the, on the idea of transformative medicine and you look at what Kathy Wood is saying on, you know, um, on CRISPR. Uh, mRNA, yeah, CRISPR, mm. those types of names, they're, if you bet on a biotech or so, sorry, if you invest in a biotech, you are maybe invested um, really narrowly on the success of a drug, right? So sometimes you see biotechs explode like two, 300% because they've got approval on a certain drug. But if you don't want to bet on a certain biotech or if you're not in that industry and you know it in the ins and outs and the likelihood of success, Bushi really offers a, it's sort of seen as the, it's been described as the TSMC of like, you know, the um, biotech space. Can you, you think about TSMC, it makes all the chips, right? It, yep. it produces chips for all the different clients. So Wuxi basically does that, but for all the different biotechs, it, it, it tests everything, it, you know, makes sure everything gets through different phases and it takes a fee for that. So if you're thinking about the success or the growth of that industry as a whole, I think Wuxi Biologics is one of the best sort of broad plays on that. And one of the big things I like about it is that it has um, plants and, you know, manufacturing operations all over the world, not just in China. So it's not as exposed uh, to Chinese regulation in that sense. See what you learn when you listen to a millennial? <laughs> Wuxi Biologics, then check them out. And yeah. I'm surprised that we're going to pivot now to a company that you say you want to talk about that is in uh, something rather traditional, floor care. Yeah, so it's actually um, it's actually a uh, it's, called, it's a company called Tektronic Industries, and it's actually a um, it's actually a cordless power tools manufacturer. So if you think about the U.S. and you think of the Home Depots, right? You think of Home Depot and Lowe's when you talk about doing up um, your home or improving your home. You think about you think about going to home care. Um, a shop and buying a power tool, right? So mm -hmm. Tektronic Industries is actually founded in Germany, but listed in Hong Kong about 1994. And right now it has an ex Home Depot CEO, which is, which is running the company. And what they, what they have is a stable of really, really um, sort of high end power, power tool brands such as uh, Milwaukee, Ryobi. And what they, what they sell into is actually they sell into the, into the growth of the housing market, either in the U S or in Europe, um, and so they provide a lot of their wares to the Home Depots and the Lowe's. So people who want to do up their own place or the pro builders that are, you know, working on building homes or home improvements or contractors. And it's a really, I think, little known fact that Tektronic Industries has been one of the best performers on the Hang Seng Index over the past 20 years. So if you look at back about the over the past 20 years in terms of its returns, it's returned about 16,500% in total returns uh, since 2001. And actually over the past 10 years, it's doubled Tencent's return. So Tencent has returned 1,200% um, and Tektronic's delivered about 2,600% in the past 10 years. So it's actually over doubled uh, 10 cents return over the past 10 years. So I think if you're wow. looking at, 
if you're thinking about looking at, um, you know, a company that is growing fast, it grew its earnings about 50% in its latest half year. It raised its dividend by 60% year on year. Um, this is a company that continues to execute year in, year out. Uh, margins continue to rise on a consistent basis. Um, so don't, don't automatically always look at tech in China. I mean, this is a company that has a lot of its business actually in the U.S., but uh-huh. is listed in Hong Kong. You can buy it. Um, in Hong Kong under the ticker 669. It's uh, got an OTC listing in the US, but liquidity is not very good in the US. So I think it would be better for uh, listeners to, to look at the Hong Kong listing. We absolutely will. This is what happens again. <laughs> Thank you for you know letting us into the mind of a millennial, Tim. Great speaking no with you. It was great. Thanks for having me on, Michelle. Really, Tim Phillips. Really yeah, me too. He's head of content and investment lead at Prosper Us. I'm going to check that platform out as well by CGS CIMB Securities. Before acting on the information on Money FM. Please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.